Welcome to Joyce, Live Curiously. My name is Philip Motueri. I spend years traveling the world from one fashion week to the next, photographing and interviewing some of the world's most creative minds. I'm a published fashion editor, and through my line of work, I've got to know some of the most influential names in the industry. My friends at Joyce have invited me to speak to some of these inspiring creators in a series of conversations that explore personal understandings of what identity, passion, and motivation are about. Through this podcast, I'm trying to know more about the reasons they chose fashion as a profession, how they stay creative while inspiring thousands of people around the world, but most importantly, what stimulates them to stay curious. My guest for today is Belgian-born Glenn Martens. Since 2013, Martens is leading the men and women's wear collections for the Parisian-based label Y Project while shaping the face of what contemporary fashion is today. Among other things, today we will be discussing the meaning of living curiously in the contemporary world. But before we get there, Glenn, I hope you don't mind starting this conversation with some details about your early uh, career steps and choices. The story has it that you jump from architecture to fashion with no particular interest in it, and yet you're considered as one of fashion's favorites. Thank you. Well, yeah, it's true. I mean, um, I didn't hear design before, actually, fashion. But, you know, in Belgium, people start uh, university very early. So, uh, basically, I graduated at 21, way too young to actually start to work in business. Felt a bit lost, didn't know what, to, what I wanted to do. And I, I heard about this amazing international academy, the Antwerp Academy of uh, Fashion. I was like, okay, what is fashion? I saw the school in Antwerp. It was a beautiful building, really architecturally, it's a really nice building. So I thought this could be nice to like spend some time in such a nice surroundings. And I went to these entrance exams completely unprepared with uh, just like a portfolio of chairs, kitchens, bathrooms. I suddenly find myself there between 400 kids from all over the world as the Antwerp Academy is really a very international school, you know? So people like fly over especially to try to get in there. And I'm there like, you know, like just one hour train away from Bruges, uh, try to do these exams, uh, three days of examinations. Then suddenly like, apparently, I don't know why, chose me to actually welcome me in the first year. And the thing is like, I kind of felt obliged, you know, like as a, <laughs> as there was a bit of a, a moment, I just wanted to try something out. And then I see there's like 400 people trying to get into school. Uh, I suddenly like was accepted. So, okay, I gave it a shot. And uh, and yeah, I didn't know anything, but I got hooked uh, after like two weeks. Um, so yeah, it was a, a, quite of a, a surprise. Yeah. yeah, it's surprising that the fact that you didn't really have interest in fashion before. And, and as you say, you got hooked uh, almost immediately. But I'm wondering how you would, let's say, perceive fashion before you actually worked in fashion. Mm -hmm. What was your opinion about it? How did you see it? I actually didn't perceive it whatsoever. I didn't know fashion could be a craft or a job or work. Uh, I barely knew who was like Karl Lagerfeld. I heard of Dior. It was something really absurd. You know, I come from a very small provincial town. It's Bruges, it's in Flanders. It's super pretty, but it's it's very much a sleeping city. And honestly, when you grow up in some place like that, you your world is not at all opening to anything creative. So fashion was something that I didn't know it existed really. So yeah, it was like when I was 21, I discovered it and I discovered the whole beauty of it and just on all the different layers. And yeah, it's very... Uh, and the first collection, the first time I came across your work, I think it was in 2011, 
I was invited to see your first collection presented in Paris under your own name. Mm -hmm. And then we met again in 2013 when you took over Y Project, mm -hmm. correctly? What did you come across uh, when you took over Y Project? And how easy for you was to enter this brand that belonged to somebody else just before you? Well, it was very emotional, obviously, as Johan Sefati, the, the founder of Y Project, the Y behind Y Project, actually passed away two months before I arrived. And obviously, it was a brand new morning, and there's no good way to take over, or no beautiful way to take over a brand new morning. It's a very emotional situation. The team is in mourning, the people, the clients, the press, everybody was really, of course, very sad. And... Um, so it was very difficult to arrive in this company, but the whole idea for me was actually to, out of respect for Johan, because I knew Johan from years before, I used to work with him uh, back in 2009 or 2010. Um, so out of respect for Johan, we decided to go for a very slow transitioning. Obviously, I couldn't really continue his work, as Johan was very much uh, an enigmatic designer. He really drew, or he really designed the collections for himself. He was very characteristic, two meters tall, like a bit of a Tim Burton figure. And I mean, like only him could draw the collections that he drew. So the idea was really like to start from Johan, but slowly leave his world and go slowly into my world. So uh, for two years, we, we transitioned and it was, we started from a very dark leather brand, which was the original Y project, Johan, to something a little bit more fun and joyful, which I think was a bit more my direction. Were you afraid of critique when you took over? The comparison, at least, with Johan? I think people really didn't like me in the beginning, obviously, as he really was. I mean, people really loved Y Project for Johan. He was really incarnating the brand. So in the beginning, they actually were very appalled and then, and I think, quite annoyed from uh, what the, the work I was doing. But then also, the story was that what I brought into the brand was something very different that they didn't understand directly or connected it with Y Project, and it intrigued them. So there was a, a bit of a hate moment in the beginning, but then also an intrigue, and I think slowly they felt the direction I wanted to go to, and slowly they started accepting it and seeing also that it was something new. It was some mm -hmm. kind of a rebirth. Mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah. and what about critique in general? Are you interested, let's say, to, to hear how others observe your work, and how do you use this critique? Well, it very much depends from who critiques. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, Y Product is a very eclectic brand, so there's a lot of different directions to go and to see uh, what I'm doing. Uh, we're not really talking to one kind of person or one kind of customer or product group, and that actually gets very... Uh, confusing for critiques because sometimes they try to push us in streetwear, sometimes they try to push us in couture or whatever, Belgian conceptualism, and they don't really know where we are. We're like a bit of everything. So for a lot of people, it's a bit too complicated. <laughs> we get a lot of critiques which are very shattered and they don't really... They don't really see what it is because it's not such an easy, straightforward, easy to digest mm -hmm. understanding um, collection. But then there's other critiques. There's a certain journalist which got it from day one and uh, and really understand what they stand for. And these people, of course, like, because they understand the identity of the brand and I, of course, care what they say because they, the people who know, who have mm -hmm. been following different brands, we're mostly talking about journalists or whatever who have been there since mm -hmm. the 80s, the 90s. Um, so, yeah, I mean... To go back to the critiques, I do, of course, care about the critiques because the critiques are also going to have influence on ourselves, on the company, on the team. But then again, uh, yeah, 
I mean, on the other hand, I'm also quite independent living my life. The most important thing is also to have fun, to make sure the team has fun. It's a, it's a job. We do it like seven days a week, definitely. And uh, why would we do it if it's not fun? So we shouldn't really have the critiques mm-hmm. uh, demotivating us. What about, I'm wondering about the risks necessary to create a collection you create each season. What are the risks for Y project? And how, if we compare the risks you, you took when you first started to the risks you're taking today mm-hmm. while the company is growing? Well, obviously, when I took over the brand, we had seven stores. We had five employees in the company. It was very small, very niche. I mean, the stores were beautiful, but very, very uh, one-directional. The risk in those days was actually to survive a little bit, but I really people didn't really look at us too much. So it was kind of a freedom. It was kind of refreshing because I was just doing my things and experimenting, having fun. Obviously, now we're 25 people in the team, and that's the risk. I mean, obviously, I think we all know that as an independent designer, you only worked what your last collection was. It's a, it's a very flaky business. You can fall very fast. And uh, I have a responsibility now, obviously, to to make sure that my team is is happy, healthy, has a paycheck set in a month, gets a raise, gets the bonus. Um, that's actually my biggest challenge, my biggest risk, I think, uh, every season. What would you say were the first signs that the company is actually growing? When did you start to realize that, hey, guys, we are moving towards a new <laughs> dimension right now and things are need to be different from now on? Uh, I mean, there's many signs. <laughs> no. But the signs already that I, I I get stalked on emails and, uh, <laughs> and Instagram. That's sign one. No, I don't know. There's like we're actually we're very lucky. We have a really great feedback um, for both press and buyers. Honestly, like you know, when great journalists write great uh, reviews, it's a good sign. When amazing shops like Joyce uh, want to partner and, and make special collaborations, it's a massive sign. When Rihanna buys the full collection only for herself or Beyonce buys the full collection as a proper store. It's a sign. I mean, like these things are, yeah, it's like goes all directions, but uh, I'm trying not as much to care about it mm-hmm. because I think if you really like focus on it, you start stressing. Has the, uh, the purpose of your creativity changed over the years since the time you started? The purpose of my creativity? Yes. Um, no, because actually it's still really about having fun and about being experimental and enjoying our job and, and enjoying the fittings. So it's still there. And I think people, the fun thing also, the good thing with Y Project is that since the beginning, we've been pushing quite, um, quite, um, eccentric or quite, um, conceptual pieces. And, uh, I guess that our customers actually now want that also. So I'm not obliged to start doing branding or simple basics. They really want to have a playful collection. And we really, we really like raised <laughs> the people around us, uh, to follow that and to enjoy that. And what about obsessions? Do you have aesthetic obsessions when you start creating a collection? Things that you repeat over and over or you over and analyze through each new collection each time? Well, aesthetically, there's a lot of things. I mean, the brand is about versatility and it's about eclecticism. So it's again about um, trying to be all-inclusive. So we really try try to talk about all the different people within myself, the different people around us, uh, building a company or building a city. So aesthetically, it can go all directions. The main focus of each collection is really constructive concepts and experimentation. That's my main obsession. And later, once we find a certain concept, we project these 
concepts on different kind of pieces and product groups. And it's very free. It's really, when, I mean, it can be on lingerie. That's a nice thing also. I can play with lingerie corsetry, streetwear. Um, the only aesthetic connection point I think we have in all our pieces is certain certain opulence. Mm -hmm. It's quite rich. Like we always try to, it's kind of, a, yeah, it needs to be a bit of a party. You know, it's like a never ending Christmas or something. Yeah, that's the thing. And how far is too far when you design a collection? It's very difficult. Do you to put limits <laughs> down or not? <laughs> I think we should sometimes put more limits. <laughs> no, it's really like, it, it does often happen to fit thing that we're like, are we really going for this? You know, mm -hmm. like, is, is this really, how are, are people going to understand the joke or that this is really like something we just want to push? It's like a, Are people getting it? And then most of the time we just look at each other and like, who cares? No, just let's do it. And mm. uh, so this, it's very emotional. You feel it, you don't feel it. And yeah. <laughs> There's a renaissance of tailoring uh, in the past uh, two, three seasons and including through the Y project collections, but also craftsmanship. Uh, there's a lot of focus on that. Um, how does craftsmanship translate through Y project? Obviously, when you talk about construction, you talk about craftsmanship. I mean, it's all about uh, interfacing, epaulettes, whatever. Like it's, um, it's very much into that. And obviously, like to go for such a conceptual or, or um, uh, yeah, experimental pieces, you need to have craftsmanship behind. You need to have proper tailors which are doing the patterning, and you need to have a company mm. or like of manufacturers which are really want to play this game and really want to go for this challenge. So, yeah, craftsmanship for us is kind of core to every single thing we do in all different directions. And, and yeah, well, tailoring also has been a part of our identity since the very beginning, uh, one of the identities. How challenging is the relationship with the manufacturers? Is it easy to find a common language to communicate or not? <laughs> But that's <it's> very... <laughs> no, it's good. Honestly, the, the thing is, what I also discovered is that a lot of manufacturers actually get bored. Um, In what sense? In what sense? I mean, like just having the same blazer, the same t-shirt. They want also to be challenged. You know, like they, they're also all day long in the factory, sewing things, or developing things. I think they're always very happy to see why projects. They, of course, always get a bit stressed. Like, how are we going to make this piece? Um, what are they asking? Um, But I mean, they get excited and if they play the game, I think uh, they have a lot of fun. So yeah. we actually have very good um, connections points to them. Good teams, good, good uh, partnerships. Obviously, we have to travel a lot to like explain them. It's not something, our piece is not something you just send a pattern and a technical file. You actually have to also go there, explain them in proper. Mm -hmm. uh, but we actually had really, I think it's, they really enjoy it and they always come to the shows. Do you go yourself or you send uh, your team? In the beginning, I did all the lounges myself. Like until three years ago, I really flew around Europe to lounge all uh, our pieces. Now mm. I've been learning to delegate. Our team has grown, and uh, it's important that the person who designs or like who develops the piece also knows the person who sews it. Mm. And uh, I think they really need to know each other, be a team. I think mm. it's not as the company is growing. Was it easy for you to start trusting people and letting go? Uh, One of the other big challenges, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> no, I mean, I've been learning to delegate since like two, three years and uh, I'm, I'm getting better at it. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I also discovered that it's very stressful, obviously, like, yeah. But uh, the thing is also, uh, I don't really believe in, in the designers saying I do everything myself. And I think it's all about teamwork. And obviously, yeah, I think you can also see that the collections get way better since we have proper team members being responsible of different product groups. Mm. Um, because obviously, like, while you're doing the piece, while you're developing the piece, you learn so much more, you can go deeper into it. 
being one person designing the whole collection is uh, it's just very superficial at a certain mm -hmm. point. You can't really go very deep into it. Mm -hmm. And speaking of challenges, uh, what is the let's say biggest challenge that Y Project is facing right now? Um, it's actually growth. Uh, we're growing every season like 10 to 20%. And honestly, it's, it is very challenging because on all different levels, because obviously when you grow, you need more team members. You need to learn to delegate even better. You need to give people responsibility. Same thing with the factories. Certain factories, we outgrow them. So every season you have to find new factories, add factories. It's a... Uh, it's, yeah, and there's way more, when you grow, there's way more things also, I mean, a special project, VIPs, whatever, like it's quite all-inclusive. So, so that's always a new story. Every season is a whole new chapter. Does it also mean flexibility growth? You need to be very flexible. <laughs> I'm trying also, being less control freaky. <laughs> Sophisticated and daring, Martins claims that his inspiration often comes straight from the streets. If you look at his work more closely, it is easy to see how the designer likes to challenge us by reforming the body, while suggesting new ways of understanding ourselves through his designs. Each collection becomes a statement. His creations are mysterious and sensual. At other times, they carry historical interpretations and speculations of how the future could be. He never fails to deliver, while his followership grows season after season, and rightfully so. I'm going to focus now on your collection as the timeline of your work varies from minimal, very clean lines, surfaces, decoration, uh, very rich and overworked shapes, multifunctional, they're very photogenic as well. What really freed you? But even I think when the collections were a bit more closer to Johan's world, I always really pushed experimentation. So I think it was just the aesthetic was way more sleek as mm. that was also where he was. Uh, much more darker. But that was him also. But actually inside of the pieces, there was panels, things flapping over. And that was, I think it's really, to be honest, I think like the moment I felt that I actually did my very first personal collection for my product. I think it was actually the first woman's wear on a catwalk. I think that's where people also saw the whole elaborate process we can have into the collection, which maybe people didn't understand so much in the past because it was much darker and much flat and much mm -hmm. more sleek. But I don't think I really felt, even when I, when I was working more under the Johans art direction, I felt very free. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was very happy and I think I'm very happy also that for example, my, my CEO, Gilles, he always gave me full freedom. He kind of trusted me and uh, whatever I was doing. So mm -hmm. I want to ask you a couple of questions that are more um, of a sociology, let's say, nature. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm going to try to answer <laughs> um, properly. I want to <laughs> ask you about fashion and how um, it serves society. Do you think that we are actually connected to the clothes we choose to wear today, or we seek a deeper meaning into them? Uh, depends from person to person. There's so many ways of, of, of dressing. I think there's people who are hiding behind the clothes, and there's people who are using clothes to like uh, pinpoint their personality and to elongate their personality. And um, it goes from person to person, and there's people who just don't care. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> um, that's the yeah. beauty of it. Does it matter that we that we um, uh, let's say uh, give out messages through the way we dress or not? I think if people want to do it, they should do it. And I think that's a really nice part of fashion. It can become really 
uh, way of expressing yourself and it can become a tool uh, or uh, to to be yourself um, but it doesn't matter at the end of the day of course everybody does what he wants but so you're um, kind of talking about uh, democracy also in fashion I think for every brand is they all have their own story and I really don't think that we should actually all be pushing a certain direction or something in a certain way I think for for our brand we are talking about democracy as we're talking about this diversity in on the streets and I want to talk to all different kind of people. So there's democracy, of course, in the products. So I think the most important thing is definitely that we have to be respectful. And I think as a designer, that's definitely where I want to go. Uh, it's on all different kind of stages. Uh, first of all, it's what you have to respect your customer. The moment you, uh, the moment you actually like sell them a basic T-shirt with just a logo on it for 800 euros, and while you know the production price is like 60 euros, I think that's not democratic. I think you're fooling your customer. It's kind of a ripoff and it's abusive. That's number one. I think democracy should be also, as we all know, fashion in all directions is one of the most polluting industries in the world. Uh, we have also to be, we have to work on that. We have to change that. And I think we have to be transparent and be aware of what we're doing. I'm not saying that when a brand like Y Project does clothes, that we always have to be democratic or ecological because sometimes also clothes are an expression of emotions and they can be art or they can be close to art in theory art is always somewhere polluting because nobody literally needs it it's not like mm. the basic need of survival but for example when we do our denims when we do use our basic materials cottons whatever we try to to go for certified materials and i think we have to democratic i don't even know it's really into your question but we have responsibility that's quite sure i think and that, that's definitely somewhere that I think fashion should go that way and especially because it's an industry which is very much followed and that's where it is maybe democratic because even people who can't afford certain garments that we produce they are following the visuals they're following the world it makes them dream which is the beauty also mm. I think from this whole industry but that's also where we have a responsibility in this democratic vibe to to also make sure that the message is correct mm. you know mm. and that's And another thing, the body that we dress, that you dress as a mm -hmm. designer, for centuries we have this need to transform the body through the clothes that we wear, more recently with plastic surgery, and become something different. Why do you think we have this need? It hasn't changed. It's just evolving the way the world is evolving. Yeah, um, good question. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess we always want to become something we're not. I don't know. It depends also from from people to people. Um, What does it serve, this need for change, you think? I mean, everything goes back to, to sex, no? <laughs> it always goes back. <laughs> no, I guess, I guess, yeah, we want to be, we want to have fun, we want to we wanna feel attracted, we want to be attractive, I think. Uh, we are actually are all, all very sexual humans. <laughs> <laughs> Because at the end, the, the things we transform is our assets, our waist and our breasts and I... It is, no? Yeah, I like it. So uh, I guess that's kind of the, I mean, and obviously like in clothes, it's very, it's very clear. I mean, like every era had this kind of obsession, this kind of sexual obsession. It's saying, mm -hmm. I think the clothes were definitely, were definitely serving that kind of, yeah. As long as it has a waist, it's the only thing that never changed the in waist. the history of fashion. That's true. Actually, on the other hand, no, medieval times they had bellies. <laughs> true. <laughs> then But it, probably it was the only time that the waist was a bit transferred to the <laughs> higher level. Yeah. They're like a little round belly. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wonder what the term modern in fashion means to you. How do you 
feel the notion of hype? How do you translate it as us? I don't really care about it, to be honest. I don't really care too much what the hype is, what hype is not. Uh, but at the end of the day, I'm also quite happy we are not the hypest brand because we all have seen hypes come and disappear in a matter of three years. And uh, I think that's the fun thing also by being a brand which is a little bit more independent and doesn't try to follow the hypes too much is that you actually you have a steady growth. You're not going to suffer mm. uh, from the hypes because I think it's, it's a double cutting thing hype how do you feed yourself to learn how to keep yourself informed and when was the first time that your desire to learn led you into discovering a whole new perspective about something you knew or you didn't know mm-hmm. a moment um Well, my learning process is definitely the streets. Huh? It's definitely like being in a metro, walking around, watching people. Um, also being very flexible. I think that's the biggest learning process. Also being able to find yourself in a rave, but also go hiking, be like at the opera or whatever. Like, I think that's really the biggest learning process that I have also. And that's actually very visible in my brands. I think that's this, this flexibility is very much there being able to feel comfortable in all different kinds of situations. And then deeper, to be honest, the real, as we are so technical, the learning process is really the garments. I mean, it's just open up pieces and see how they work. It's never really, it's rarely a beautiful story, like I'm going into a museum and whatever, and I'm, I'm researching the 16th century garments in England. It's never really like that. It's really, for me, it's really like inside of the piece mm. and uh, cutting things open, see what's in there. And I'm wondering about uh, the ways you work with your team. Are they intrigued to learn from you? How do you keep your team stimulated for each new collection? Mm-hmm. How do you intrigue them to come back with their suggestions, let's say? There's definitely a hierarchy, of course, in the brand. Yeah, we try to delegate things. But at the end, even, even the, the intern who just arrived is going to be responsible from day one for a piece from A to Z. And that's something that I think is very important that people really need to be invested in the brand. And that's super important that they're able to say at the end of the catwalk that these were my pieces. That's something I really like the first part. Um, and also like when we have the fittings, for example, this is actually my office, but we also have the commercial department next to it. Uh, why did I do that? It's because I wanted the commercial department to be really feeling part of the brand. I didn't want them to suddenly discover the collection on the catwalk. I need to see them. I need to hear their, their, their opinions, their reflections. It's really about being all-inclusive and not hiding too much and not being this kind of like, I'm closing the doors because I don't want this department and this department to hear about this and this and this. It's, we really try to be very much a family-orientated company. And I think once people feel that and they know the respect, it's, It happens very naturally. I mean, we have a really happy team <laughs> globally. And I mean, it's also fun, you know, like it's, uh, again, uh, it's like uh, we're not doing basic logos on a T-shirt. They really have to go deep into things. And I think they love the challenge. Mm-hmm. Can something beautiful be dysfunctional? What is beautiful for you, Glenn? I think beautiful is very much genetic. No, I think for me, it's something really uh, which has been dictated by nature it's all about proportions the good proportions and i think we all feel attracted to the similar kind of things i don't think clothes always should be functional you know but um they shouldn't always be beautiful either what uh, is beautiful for you i wonder i think beautiful for me is well actually for most people is beautiful something that kind of makes us feel calm that we think is pretty and 
it's really about balance, in my opinion. It's really about a good proportion, good balance, which is something I think, again, as I said, is like really dominated by the genes and mm -hmm. the nat natural genes. Um, but then it can be very boring also. I'm going back to fashion, the philosophy of fashion. Um, do you think that fashion as it is now is, is soon becoming an outdated form? And you, as a, being an active designer, how do you speculate the future of fashion? I really try not to think about it. I think I leave that to other designers who say they want to change the industry. I mean, fashion is always going to change and and there's always people going to claim that things have to change and it's better this way or better the other way. Um, I mean, yeah, we just develop what we want to do and we want to have fun. And, and it works, honestly. Like I also think in, a, in an era where we're dominated by social media and star situations like this. Um, people never always said that a brand like Wire Project is too much dated in the way of working. Um, in what sense? In the sense that we are talking about tailoring, we are talking about the garments and, and, and by design, and it's less about just a hype or whatever. So in that way, people always said we were, that we had a a lesser chance of survival because obviously people now want to consume. It has to be very, very fast. And which I just see is completely opposite because we've never been growing so much as we do today. Um, I'll leave it up to the others. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and to conclude, what does living curiously mean to you and how do you keep yourself curious? Curiosity means everything, no? It's just, I'm a very curious person. That's very true. I, I think I always want to Whatever I don't know, I want to know. I mean, like I also spend my days and I can like spend hours on Wikipedia, which is maybe not the best platform to <laughs> to have the most correct information. But it does already give you a lot of information and good information. I can really, I can really lose myself on the computer, like browsing through Wikipedia. And I think that's that's curiosity for me. I'm also curiosity for me is also a very old-fashioned way because I am coming from a very classic background. I went to a college, learned Latin, whatever. So it's a very traditional way of curiosity. I need to know, need to have knowledge. And whenever I I am missing out on something, I feel a bit frustrated. But it's also about it's also about meeting people. It's also about being open to meet new people. It's also about not judging different types of people. It's, I mean, I can feel, as again, as I said earlier, I feel extremely comfortable in a fashion party, as I feel comfortable at the opera, as I feel comfortable in a rave, as I feel comfortable in a supermarket or in a metro. Um, I think that's kind of my curiosity, just being able to to embrace and, and love the diversity of, of the world that we have today. And what about your work? How do you use curiosity in, in your work, in your collections? Or within the process of making a collection, perhaps? Yeah, it's, as, as we talked about earlier also, sometimes it's really like, are we going for this? Are we really going to do that? Um, the curiosity is also like, how far can we go and what will people accept? And if they ac there's always somebody accepting it, so it's kind mm -hmm. of cool. <laughs> Curiosity serves the purpose of learning. It allows us to go further because it works like an idea generator. It pushes us to question what we already know and what we don't know. No matter whom we come across and the places we go, we all want things that are similar and we all want to matter. Your choice of action could lead to an adventure, or better, your own definition of what an adventure is. The goal should be to provoke originality in our everyday lives, and this should only be possible by wanting to move forward, by wanting to evolve and to flourish. 
Thank you for listening to Joyce Live Curiously. If you're curious about our next guest, stay tuned. Well, I don't see myself as someone provocative so much, even if maybe people think so. I see myself as someone radical because I think that to make something happen, you have to be radical today. Because if you are not, then the information gets lost because we have so much information. Mm, I was really naive, so I will never said that I was a designer. I just thought of myself, I'm just a crazy child. I see that my parents don't like me when I dress like that because I look really weird. My father was ashamed, but then I, of course, like it. And I just like to provoke with it, but it was in a kind of supernatural way and not at all with considering myself as a designer. So it was more a way to express myself as an adolescent.